Good morning. It's been a good morning. I want to extend a special thanks before I begin to all of you who helped during Vacation Bible School. Uh, the week was a great success, and I was especially blessed to see uh, well, two things I thought defined just my, my thankfulness. The first was throughout the week we had a number of young men and women, and I mean 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th graders, who were so helpful throughout the week. You should know that. And I just thought, I was really special. Really special. And then, as I'm feeling that throughout the week, I looked and we had a number of 65, 66, 67, 68, 69-year-olds who came in to help. And when I mean help, I mean hard work help. And I thought, uh, there's, there's 80 people in our church volunteering here throughout the week of every age and shape and tribe you could imagine. And I just thought, that is a mark of a healthy church. So you want to know what a healthy church looks like? Monday through Friday of this, of this week really showed it, I thought. So thank you. I had uh, the opportunity to do a funeral. I had the honor to do a funeral uh, some years back for a friend of mine. This friend I knew from college, and I had never met his grandfather, but I had known about his grandfather from college because uh, I went to the Air Force Academy, and so did this gentleman, a friend of mine, and he had a picture of his grandfather on his desk in his Army Air Corps uniform. And I just want you to know, grandparents, that's unusual. Don't expect that. I don't want you to send to your grandchild, college student, a picture of yourself, and then expect to visit and see it on the desk. Um, it, was un- it's unus- it was very unusual. It's the only time I've ever seen that. Uh, but this gentleman, I did his, I ended up, uh, I performed his funeral, and uh, this gentleman had been in the Air Force of the Army Air Corps right around the shift of the service branch in the late 1940s, and I think he'd have been in for one enlistment, so for about four years, but it had remained in his life a signature definitional experience. That's who he was. So he went on and did many other things in his life, but kind of that's who he, that remained a big part of him, and it came out in the, in the, in the memorial service. In the memorial service, many people spoke about how he held on to a lot of those things from those four brief years. And I thought to myself, it must have made an impact because his grandson put his picture on his desk in college. I mean, his grandson connected his call to the service through his grandfather. And it just had me thinking about legacy and what we pass down, about who we are and what's what is collected by those around us, our children or our grandchildren? Um, what do they collect? We don't, we don't pick the memorabilia that they hold on to, whether it's real or spiritual. We don't, we don't select that stuff. They do. And, and this morning's message is about that. It's about uh, leaving a legacy and how we deal with the promise of Christ and um, how we... Uh, uh, deal in this life with something that we, won't, we don't receive quite yet. And so let me quickly define the promise that I'm talking about for you. This is the promise that we have in Christ. We believe um, that those who trust in Jesus Christ 
have a great hope of one day being brought into the eternal loving arms of, of the Lord forever and ever and ever. That's what we believe. We believe that mankind in our current state is separated from the Lord because of brokenness and sin and wickedness that is resident in every one of us and that the Lord sent Christ who, in a sense, parted the great sea so that we could cross and enter into this promised land of fellowship with him. That's the promise that we live. In this life, we don't experience all of it, do we? We, we live in anticipation. We have a great hope, is what the writers talk about, a faith and the hope that leads to love of trusting what's going to happen. And this morning, I want us just to meditate on, on how, is, how is our great hope being lived out in our day-to-day life. So if you would, turn to Genesis chapter 46. If you're a visitor or new or you forgot your Bible or you just collect Bibles, um, you can grab one. It's under the seat in front of you. Um, it's page 35 in that Bible, and you're welcome to, to read there. I encourage you to read along. And I'm going to summarize for you um, a little bit of where we've been. For the past several weeks, we've been in a sermon series that's dealing with the life of Jacob uh, in the book of Genesis. So we've been working through Genesis and I feel right now, uh, on this particular Sunday, especially because we have a number of families uh, visiting towards the summer and the end of EBS, when I was a kid, we'd be watching a movie, and my mom never sat down with us in the movie until it was almost over. And then she would come in, I'm sorry, I'm doing this, she would come in, and she'd sit down, and she'd go, what's happening? Who's that? Now, who is he? And we, the natural response was, Come on, Mom. Of course, she was doing dishes and laundry and caring for the family as we know it. We didn't have any regard for that at all. We just thought she had betrayed us because she didn't sit down with the movie. But she'd sit down. And in the old days, we, we didn't have a thing called the pause button. We just had to wait till a commercial. But now, you know, as time progressed, we did save up enough money to purchase a pause button. And we could pause the movie be like, Here's what's happening. And you give them like the begrudging five-minute story of, you know, war and peace. And then you would click play again. <laughs> well, I feel this morning that I'm going to do that a little bit. I'm, gonna, I'm pausing the, the story just to give, uh, and not begrudging, to give a very charitable uh, update for those of you who are like, who's Jacob and why do I care? So this is Jacob, and here's why you should care. Jacob is the son of Isaac, who is the son of Abraham. And Abraham is the beginning of the story, the historical narrative that all of God's people placed their trust in. God came to Abraham with a great and glorious promise. God said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your family's household and go to the place that I will show you. And he says, and Abraham, I will bless you. And I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you and every people group, every nation, tribe, tongue, every people will be blessed through you. That's the promise I have for you, Abraham. And that promise was passed down from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. These are the 12 tribes of Israel. If, if, if you're new to the story, that's how we get the 12 tribes of Israel. In fact, Jacob was given a new name late in life. The Lord renamed him Israel. And so when we refer to Israel, we could either be referring to the person or the nation or the, the ethnic familial group of the Jews, because all three of those are right at some level. But J- Jacob had 
12 sons. But of his 12 sons, they were born of four women, of which he only really loved one, Rachel. Which is its own story. You can read it on your own time. But um, Rachel had two of these sons, Joseph and Benjamin. Now, Joseph was the oldest. Benjamin was way younger. But Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. He loved Joseph. He doted on Joseph. His, his, the way he loved and doted on Joseph was so obvious. The, the favoritism was so public that it sowed the seeds of strife within his own household. And so that the other brethren, the, the, older, the, the older ten, began to have a seed of jealousy and hatred and bitterness towards Joseph. And it got to the point where when they saw an opportunity, they plotted to murder him. But at the last minute, instead of murdering him, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. And so Joseph was trucked away to Egypt, carted, carted away to Egypt. And the brothers went home to deliver the bad news to their father. And while Joseph was in Egypt, he was placed in prison for a crime he didn't commit. He was a slave. And the Lord, through the powerful, strong arm of the Lord, the Lord brought him out of prison and through a turn of events placed him in the highest office in the land. He was Pharaoh's right-hand man. He was placed, as Pharaoh says, I will make you ruler of all Egypt. And except for me, no one is your equal. And it was the Lord who did that. The Lord did that through through uh, giving Joseph the ability to divine someone's dreams. And Pharaoh had these two dreams that had plagued him, and only Joseph could tell. Joseph said, these are the meaning of your dreams. Uh, There's seven years of great harvest coming, followed by seven years of terrible drought. And here's what you need to do. And when Pharaoh heard that and saw that clearly the Lord was on him, Pharaoh said, well, who else to lead the country but you? Here, Egypt's yours. Lead it. Well, the famine hit, as Joseph had interpreted, right in the year he said it would. And it was terrible. And it hit more than just Egypt. It hit all the land. And so that eventually, people from other nations and tribes were coming to Egypt to purchase grain, of which there was one notable nation that came, the nation of Israel, the Ten Brothers. The Ten Brothers come to Egypt. They come before who? Joseph. Joseph sees them and recognizes them. They see Joseph. They don't recognize him because he looks Egyptian. He's shaved. He's dressed like an Egyptian. He's speaking Hebrew or Egyptian, and he's using an interpreter to speak with them. And so they think he's just Pharaoh's number one man. And then ensues this dramatic period, which we really can't talk about because we're moving today, but this dramatic period where Joseph is trying to determine from the Lord, how am I supposed to behave? What's my role in the story? Am I a judge or am I, a, do I bring mercy? What's happening? Are my brothers the same or are they different? And in all of that process, uh, it ends up that all 11 brothers are in Egypt with Joseph the 12th and there is a great reconciliation. They come to one another and uh, Joseph reveals him who he truly is and the hand of the Lord in all of this and says, I know what you intended was harmful, but God had a bigger intention. It, my, the intention was that I might save my family. And that brings us to the 46th chapter. And in this chapter, the, bro, uh, the, the 11 brothers are going back home Uh, or towards the end of the 45th chapter, the brothers are going back home to Canaan to see their father, Jacob. And we'll be picking up shortly after that. And here's my question as we go into the text. Imagine being Jacob. 
a month before the brothers returned, a week before the brothers returned, the day before the brothers returned. Imagine your spirit. So you're, you are 120-some, 130-some years old. So it's, it's fair to say that your earthly contribution is, feels run out. I mean, he's too old to go to Egypt to get grain and load donkeys. I mean, so the family's suffering in a famine. He's the patriarch of the family, but he's so old, his chapter's passed. He's only at the place of saying, you guys go and do it. I mean, you remember he limps everywhere he goes because the Lord dislocated his hip at one point. He's this old man. And then you think of all that he's endured in his life. He, he's lost his beloved son, Joseph, which he never quite got over. Throughout the whole story of Joseph, you know that Jacob has never gotten closure, gotten past that. So he gave up one son. Now he's down to 11. And then he found out that another son was being held ransom uh, by the Egyptians. So that was down to 10. And then he had to give up his second favorite son, Benjamin, He had to begrudgingly give him up to Egypt to possibly free the other one. And so now he's down to nine. He doesn't know. Is he ever going to see those kids? Kids, kids, they're adults. See those, his children again. Or or if, if they're gone, all of the brothers are gone. There's a famine. There's nothing left. He's selling off his estate to buy food. His wealth is in question. The nation's in question. The promise he has is in question. That is Jacob. The day before he sees them come home. And then he sees the dot on the horizon. You know, it's two dots, and then it's a caravan. And then the kids who have better eyesight, the grandkids around him say, hey, that's Uncle Reuben. That, that's them. They're coming, right? There's Levi. There's Simeon. There they are. Seven, eight, nine, ten. Grandpa, there's 11. We count all 11. All 11 of his sons are on the way back. Can you imagine his spirit? Right? A day ago, I was down to nine, and now I'm back at 11. And they all come in, and there's this big caravan, and there's food, and it's just clear from a distance that everything's gone well. All the sons are coming back. The, the, the camels are loaded down, and the donkeys are loaded down, and, and this caravan's returning. Everything seems to have gone well. And then they gather around, and he says, it's good to see that all 11 of my sons are back. And they say, Father, there are 12. Joseph, who we thought was dead, is alive and is ruler of Egypt. Can you imagine this day? Be Jacob for a moment. He's alive and he's ruler of Egypt and he says, come. He says with open arms, come, Father. Come to the land of Egypt. He has an entire land, a spacious land of Goshen open to us. We can come and he says, we'll settle there and that way we'll escape the famine because there's five more years of famine coming. We can come and settle down and eat and benefit and do all of that because of Joseph's position. The Lord is taking care of us. Imagine, this is where the Bible should say, and they lived happily ever after. And so they set out. In fact, they head southwest. Literally, the Bible could have said they rode off into the sunset. God could have been famous. He could have quoted that. Everybody would have known him. And so they head out. And as they're traveling, they're traveling down to Egypt. They get to the southern extremity of Canaan, which is the land promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They get to the southern extremity, the area called Beersheba, and 
Jacob stops to make sacrifice. And that's where we pick up today in the 46th chapter. Read this four verses with me. So Israel set out with all that was his. And when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at that night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again, and Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Do not be afraid, the Lord says. I thought it was supposed to be happily ever after. Why does it say do not be afraid? Obviously, Jacob's is scared of something. Otherwise, the Lord wouldn't say do not be afraid. You're flying in an airplane to L.A. The captain doesn't call back on the intercom. There's no need to fear. <laughs> Unless there's need to fear, right? If, if the airline captain did that to you, there's no need to fear. It was fixed. You'd be like, well, what's wrong? Right? Bing, all the little service. Bing, 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 right? But do not be afraid implies that Jacob was afraid. He was afraid of something. How can he be afraid? Everything can... Has Jacob's life ever been this good? I mean, those of you who have been around with Jacob for the past several years, it's never been this good. Twelve sons alive. His favorite son is ruler of Egypt. They're gonna, they alone are going to preserve their wealth and be preserved through the famine in Goshen. And, and this is what I, and he's afraid. In fact, you want to add, add this, Beersheba, where he goes and offers sacrifice to Beersheba, by the way, was the same place that his dad offered sacrifice when he was a kid, when his dad was scared. When Jacob was young, there was another great famine. And Isaac was migrating south towards Egypt when God said, stop, do not go to Egypt. And Isaac, his father, tried to make a living there and it wasn't going well and they would get forced out of a well and they would dig another well and they would get forced out of that. And they were kind of getting pushed out of the land and out of the land and out of the land. And finally, in Beersheba, Isaac builds an altar to the Lord and beseeches the Lord. And you know what the Lord says? The Lord says, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid. Jacob is offering sacrifice in the same place because he feels like he may be in the same position. Which raises the question, why should Jacob be afraid? Isn't this ending happily ever after? I think the answer is in the second half of the phrase. Do not be afraid. He says, do not be afraid, says the Lord, to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. You see, the issue is the promise. The issue is, as God has given through Abraham and through Isaac, now to Jacob, a promise that he will bless them and that he will make, give them this land, the land of Canaan. And that he will make a great nation through them. And that all the world will be blessed with them through this land. That in Jacob's mind, the promise is connected to the land. It always has been connected to the land. 
And this isn't a promise that Jacob heard one time from the Lord. This isn't a legend. This is not the legend of Abraham that Jacob grew up hearing, that one time God spoke to Abraham and it sounded like this. This is a promise that has been reverberated again and again and again through the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob by the Lord to them. What I'm saying is, is the Lord didn't appear once to Abraham. The Lord appeared to Abraham in Genesis 12. The Lord appeared in Genesis 15, Genesis 17, and Genesis 22. All four times the Lord appeared to Abraham and reinstituted the oath, his covenant before Abraham. Four times. In chapter 26, the Lord appears twice before Isaac. Then Isaac himself passes the promise to Jacob. And then the Lord appears to Jacob in chapter 28 and 35, and now to say to him, your promise is secure. This promise that was given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob wasn't simply said by God. It came in various ways, in various forms, dreams, visions. God himself manifested himself on earth and walked among them and shared the dream, or so it sounds, it's mysterious that God would walk among men and, and actually share all this. This is, it's, it's happening. I mean, Imagine for me for a second that you, you receive from God an unmistakable, undeniable experience in which he gives you a promise. I'm not saying that you, I think you had one. I'm saying that you say to me, I don't care what you say, God showed up. In a dream, he tore my mind apart and climbed in it and said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make a mighty nation through you. And I'm going to plant this nation in the ancient land called Delaware. And you will have, as far as the eye can see, from Hokesson all the way down to Georgetown, as far west as Newark to as far east as Claymont, you will have all that good and spacious land, the land of milk and honey. It's yours. And all the nations of the world will be blessed through. Now say you have that undeniable God experience. Not once, but twice, but three times you have it, okay? And let's say that it's not just you, but the same experience, the same promise has come to your father and your grandfather. How apt are you to leave Delaware when things don't go well? You're just going to pack up, get on Southwest? Your son calls you up, hey, Dad, I got this big gig at .com. Come out to California, you can settle in the Silicon Valley. You going to do that? You're just going to, oh, yeah, that's it. Your whole life for three generations, God has said, this is your land that I'm going to give to you on oath that I gave to your grandfather Abraham. You're just going to pack up? Is that what you're going to do? I don't think you're going to cross into Elkton before you build an altar and before the Lord and go, Am I going to abdicate the promise in order to preserve my life? That's Jacob here. He's about to leave. And the Lord says to him, relax. I and the promise are going with you. Go. And so he goes. And the whole family goes. In fact, 70 in all, all of whose names I will read you right now. I'm just kidding. Uh, I imagine like a visitor being like, that's exactly what I'm, Aminadab begat Shinoabab. And I'm kidding. They all go. See, we're the same people. They all go and uh, they end up down there. That's essentially the mind share of 46. 
I'm going to just summarize the next section. So 70 and all go, and then 28, roughly to the end of the chapter, is the reunion between Joseph and his father. They hug and they cry and cry, and things are great. And then 47, uh, roughly 1 through 12, is Joseph presenting his father and brothers before Pharaoh, whom bless him greatly. So in case you have any question, like, should I have gone or not? They end before the throne of Pharaoh, and they're kind of hoping that maybe they can settle in Goshen. And Pharaoh says, Goshen, give them Goshen. And then he says, in fact, I have cattle. Give them my cattle. You guys take care of my cattle. So now they actually have a role, like they're the chief cattle bearer of Pharaoh. And then he says, in fact, tell me how many kids they have, and I'll make sure they have enough food in proportion to the size of their families. That's their situation as they settle down in Goshen. And then 13 through the end of the chapter 47, or, or through about verse 26, talks about how Joseph has secured the nation of Egypt, how, how the Lord had blessed the nation of Egypt and how he had taken care of everybody. That's that text. But we arrive in 27, and this is what we hear. 47 verse 27, it says this. Now the Israelites settled in Egypt in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there. They acquired property there and were fruitful and increased greatly in number. It says Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years. And the years of his life were 147. How how many more years of the famine? Five. So they went down to Egypt to survive the famine, five years remaining. 17 years later, they've bought land, and they are settled. Now, I know some of you are going to point to a prophecy and say, well, the Lord said that, or hey, this isn't sinful. I don't know if it's sinful. All I know is Jacob was reluctant to leave the land, and they are very quick to settle in the land. I would say for many of the Hebrew people, as time goes on, they begin to call that home. I imagine the vernacular, it's not the people from Hebrew who are settled in Goshen, but 10 years, 15 years, 30 years, 100 years later, they end up being in that land 430 years to the day. They stay there. To the day. 100 years later, do you think they're called the Hebrew people from Canaan who have settled in Goshen? Or are they called the Goshenites? Or the people of Goshen? Right, I know the day you move to Ellesmere, you're not Ellesmerian. Six generations later, three generations later, you're of Ellesmere. That's just how it is. I think they're making a home here, which makes, which makes what Jacob is about to do momentous. Verse 28, Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years, and the years of his life were 147. When time drew near for Israel to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. That is the way you do a solemn vow, in case it sounds bizarre. Some people like cut their hands or spit. They have a more creative and unfortunate tradition. If I have found favor in your eyes, show me kindness and faithfulness. He says, do not bury me in Egypt. But when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I will do as you say, he said. Swear to me, he said. 
Then Joseph swore to him, and Israel worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. You, you see what the situation here? Jacob is getting old, and he calls in Joseph, and Joseph comes and he says, Listen, don't bury me here. If I mean anything to you as your dad, don't bury me here. And Joseph, you can imagine, says kind of like a son, Okay, Dad, I won't bury you. He says, No, swear it to me that you will not bury me. Bury me with my father and my father's father in Canaan. I want you to take my bones back to Canaan. And Joseph says, okay, I swear. I would call this in the text, if you're trying to, you know, attach significance, I would call this the greatest moment of Jacob's life. Because in his land and his world, he's looking at a people who are growing comfortable in Egypt. And he takes the time to say to his son, I am not Egyptian. Furthermore, what he says is, remember, he has this big promise that God gave him on oath. This promise that came from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, that he was going to bless him and that he was going to give him that land and that they would be a great nation and that all the world would be blessed with them. And right now they're kind of a migratory Bedouin people in the land of Egypt, which is not their own. And this is a way that Jacob shows himself and his son and his sons that while God has not realized the promise in his life, he still has faith that God will be faithful. He trusts that God will be faithful, even though he doesn't actually see the very things that God had promised. It's a sense of saying, I know God will be true to his word, even though I'm, I'm not going to live all the way to see it. You hear that, Christian? That we have promises in this life that you will not see. I'm telling you, you're not going to see them unless the Lord comes again. Unless he comes again and he lands here, you will not see the fullness of the promises given to you. It's not going to happen. We're judged on our faith and hope in a promise not yet received, but hoped for. That's what we are to be known for. We are to be known as strangers in a strange land who are anticipating the fulfillment of a greater truth and promise on the other side of life. When, when, when we live our lives as though we expect the promises to be fulfilled, here people say, well, that's, that's it? That's what Christianity is? I mean, is your Christian promise a good job and a good house and a good marriage? Is that the Christian promise that God promised you? I can't find that in the text. I can find in the text there will be hardship. I can find in the text, I'm going to ask you to do amazing things. I can find in the text, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. I can find in yourself, but for who endures will be given the right to eat from the tree of life in the other life. Where are we trying to live out the promise? It is a very unsatisfactory and lame Christianity to wait for the fullness of the promise now. Do you have faith that God will be faithful to bring you there even after your eyes have been shut? That's the first thing that you see. I think Jacob ends so well. I mean, I'll say this to old people. In well. In well. People are watching. They are what I'm watching. What is the promise you're hoping for? Another thing you see here is this, this tone of 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 Jacob, that I am not at home here. It's remarkable. 
because he has everything he could want. What does Jacob not have in an earthly sense that he would want? He actually has Joseph here. He didn't have Joseph there. He has anything that his heart might have desired here in Egypt, but still his demeanor is, I am not at home. I wonder whether the church is far too at home here to talk about the Lord who's called us there. He says, bury me in Egypt. A little later on in the later chapters, and we're almost at the end of the book, but a little later on in in Genesis, um, he dies. And what happens is they embalm him, they put him in a coffin, a coffin. Pharaoh hears about it and says, well, I understand you need to go home. Joseph and all the brothers take their father all the way back to Canaan. And in fact, they are accompanied by a great host of Egyptians. All the Egyptian dignitaries go. All the, many other Egyptian soldiers go. There's this massive caravan, this train of civilization from Egypt that sojourns all the way back to Canaan, to the cave in which his fathers are buried. They celebrate, mourn and weep and celebrate the funeral there. It's so amazing that the Canaanites themselves who watch it rename the place after it. Who would want to come back here from Egypt? That's what your funeral should be like. Your funeral should be a way of dragging in Egyptians and Canaanites and every nation of the world to say, this guy wanted so bad to be there, but this is a celebration. The book of Hebrews, it's at the end of the Bible, and Hebrews is a reflection on Jewishness in light of Christ. In light of all the work that Jesus Christ has done to die for our sins and make atonement and allow in all the nations, what does it mean to have been Jewish? What does all the Jewishness mean in in the life of the church? That's what the book of Hebrews is about. And you get to the 11th chapter in Hebrews, and it's this litany of all the Hebrew heroes throughout the Bible. And, And the writer points to them and says, do you see that they are known by God for their faith? The writer's trying to bolster the value of faith. And so it's by faith Noah did this, and by faith Abraham did this, and by faith Isaac did this. You know what it says about Jacob? By faith Jacob, it's hard to think of one, by the way, kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel for Jacob. It says this, by faith Jacob blessed his sons and leaned upon his staff and worshiped the Lord. It points to these two chapters, this chapter and chapter 48. By faith Jacob gave his sons, passed the promise to his sons. And notice at the very end, it says he worshiped and leaned upon his staff. The Bible points right to this moment and says, this is how Jacob is known as faithful. This is not our home, Christian. In light of VBS, okay, I'll start with families. It's generically true. So if you're with, without children or empty nested or single, it's, it's equally applicable. But in light of VBS, um, let's just approach it from this way. How and in what ways do your children know that this is not your home? In what ways? What marks, what marks of spiritual memorabilia are you giving them that one day they're going to put on their desk and say, I want to be just like that? Because i got to tell you, 
Egypt is comfortable. And we're prone to settle down here and make a home here for ourselves. I mean, I'm just, let me say it very clearly. If you take a nice car and you add to a nice car a good job and a good job to a good house and then a private school, time at the beach, and a membership at the hack, it'll be very hard to remember what Canaan was like and God's promise. I'm just telling you the truth. This is not our home. And yet with our children, if we're not careful, we can put our thumb down on them on school. Do well in school because this is your home. Thumb down on them in sports. Excel in sports because this is our home. You put your thumb down on them on all these earthly things, and then when it gets to the spirituality, some of us say, well, we just want them to grow up and develop God's truth in their own way. What is that? That is abdication of the promises of God. If we're not careful, God has given us a promise. It came through Abraham. It went to Isaac. It went to Jacob. It went down the lineages to Jesus Christ and is now proclaimed to every creature under heaven. The mystery which has been kept hidden for ages and generations, it says, has now been disclosed. That is Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's a hope of another land that is not currently ours. Have we given our children that? Do they know that? Do they know that you want to be really buried there? Do, you know, do they know that that's where you want your funeral procession to go? Incidentally, Joseph does. Look at the very end of the book of Genesis, the 50th chapter, verse 22. Now, we could talk all day whether, whether I'm right or wrong about this. I believe that we read verse 22 of chapter 50 because of what Jacob did. I think Joseph is this way because Jacob was that way. This is what it says. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at the birth on Joseph's knees. Those were his two sons. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of the land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110. After that, they embalmed him, and he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. No one of the brothers was more Egyptian than Joseph. Looked Egyptian, dressed Egyptian. He didn't even live with them in Goshen. And he says to them, he makes them swear on oath, do not leave me here. This is not my home. If you read the book of Exodus, you get to the place where they're crossing the Red Sea. It's the 13th chapter of Exodus. God's about to open up the sea. It's, this is what it says. It says, at that point, it says, Moses had the bones of Joseph gathered so that they could bring him back. Can you imagine? The Hebrew people carried Joseph's bones for 40 years in the desert waiting to get to the promised land. That's what it means to want to go. Look, and I'll close with this. Same book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. We know by faith Abraham did this. By faith Isaac did this. By faith Jacob. I told you what it says. What do you think it says about Joseph? Because there's plenty to say about Joseph, right? I mean, maybe it said the same thing about Jacob because there's really nothing else nice to say about Jacob. But Joseph is a different story. 
Well, how many things can we say about Joseph? By faith, Joseph persevered and trusted the Lord when he was a slave. By faith, Joseph did not sin with Potiphar's wife because he understood the source from which his power came from. By faith, Joseph trusted in the Lord while he was in prison that God would deliver him. By faith, Joseph was faithful and true even though he had been forgotten about. By faith, Joseph gave the dream to Pharaoh. By faith, Joseph forgave his brothers. By faith, Joseph saved Israel. Do you know what it says? It says, by faith, Joseph gave instructions as to what was to be done with his bones, period. This is not our home. Your children, what are the marks? What is the memorabilia that they're collecting about you? Where are you bringing them? Is this your home? Or do you wait for another? Amen. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, we're grateful for your time and your word and, and your encouragement, Lord. I do. I pray that those who are on the back end of their life would be encouraged. That they have, they, their faithfulness to you is a gift to the next generation. Lord, I pray you would bolster that confidence in them. And Lord, I pray that those of us in the middle of life who feel like we're writing the climax of the story, Lord, that we wouldn't be drawn away and write a false climax, write about jobs or cars or dreams or or beauty or worldly passions or any of that, Lord, but that that stuff would fade as far as our affections and our desires, Lord, but that we would desire rather to have our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life and to live a life that would draw others in. Father, encourage us and convict us that this is not our home. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Welcome to those of you who are guests. I'm grateful you came. Would you all please stand, please, and I'll I'll pray a blessing out. I will say, as I pray, I'm going to pray for Pastor Terry and his family. They're driving to Manitoba and back with four kids. That needs to be showered in prayer. Uh... And also, uh, for those of you, if you, I don't know if Kelly and Tucker Norton are still here, but if you know them and care for them, it is their last Sunday before they move to Shanghai. So uh, maybe they're in the hallway. They were in the first service. Let's pray. Lord, we pray you would be gracious to us in giving us a spirit that always is mindful that you are not fixed to one place or one location, Lord, but that you travel with us. And that the promise comes with us. And Lord, as we do move, as we're sent and as we travel and and as we go from here to there, Lord, I pray that we would never be too at home on this earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace.